But I wanted to read you a verse. This is a verse the Lord uh, shared with me, uh, kind of opened my eyes to it. My wife shared it with me, and it was, it's a phenomenal, powerful verse. And it's found in Matthew 5. And again, uh, the message translation is a great translation. Uh, Eugene Peterson wrote it. I wouldn't recommend it as your number one, but it's a great one. Uh, but I've read past Matthew 5 and NLT a ton. And in the very beginning, it says that the, Jesus saw the crowd. He saw a crowd, and therefore he climbed the mountain, and his disciples followed very quick read and then goes into the Beatitudes and the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Phenomenal read. Oh, it's one of the most powerful teachings ever from Jesus, if not the most powerful. But Eugene Peterson says it this way in Matthew 5. I want to read it to you. When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, climbed with him, arriving at a quiet place. He sat down and taught his climbing companions. This is what he said. It goes on a sale. Read one of the Beatitudes. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. Stop. I really believe that this last year, God has been developing disciples. He's not building a crowd. He's building a church. And the last two weeks, even at Walnut Creek Press, I believe, I call it Walnut Creek Press. And people are like, is it like a printing shop? Walnut Creek Presbyterian. It's just a long word to say, though. So I just uh, say press. But Walnut Creek Presbyterian Church, uh, they've been so gracious for us to meet here. I believe God was moving the crowd around on purpose. I believe that he was developing people. I believe that maybe for some of you, this is the first time you're like, I'm not going to miss, even though it's on a night and I wake up this time on Monday. <laughs> yes, <laughs> amen. <laughs> I just heard it, yep. Uh, and even if you did miss one of these Sundays, I'm not saying that you're not a climbing companion, but I believe that if you've been with us in this journey at all, man, you're a climbing companion because we are moving from here to there. And I think we are moving into a season now where God is going to mobilize his disciples to reach the next wave of people to come to Mission Church. And so I mean, get ready. It's not even part of my message. God is going to use you this next season. There are people that need to be discipled, that need to be loved, that need to be grabbed and really say, man, you're, you can be a part of this. And our church is not going to be a place where people go, I came and I just couldn't get connected. Our church will be, I came and so many people wanted to hang out. It drove me nuts. That's what we do at Mission Church. Let me get in the message real quick. Uh, third week of a series titled Moments. Everybody say moments. If you weren't here week one, I'd love to recap. Week one was moments, adversity. Every moment that you go through in, in a sense that has a valley or a testing, we learned that tested disciples are the best disciples. If you didn't uh, hear it, go on YouTube or a podcast. I believe it was uh, one of those messages that every Christian should hear, every believer should hear, because what the Lord does is he loves to use hard moments to develop soft, loving disciples. And week two was, don't miss your moment. We learned from Esther that our moments sometimes are wrapped in inconvenience. But man, if we will actually walk out our moment, we could maybe change a region and maybe even the world. And today's message is titled, Moments. Actually, no, not that. It's called, The Moments Before the Moments. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, okay. Uh, so yeah, it's going to be good. Uh, yeah. Bear with me, everybody. It's the night service. I wake up early and I go to bed early. What? Um, and it's going to be from David. And if you've never grown up in church, you know the story of David and Goliath. Raise your hand if you've heard the story of David and Goliath. I'm going to say we're batting a thousand on this, okay? Sport terms use it, everything. And everybody loves the David and Goliath story for a number of reasons. One is, I think all of us have some type of Goliath in our life. It could be health. It could be work. It could be a season. It could be family. It could be... Whatever it is, fill in the blank, everybody has some type of Goliath. And we love the moment where David throws a stone at Goliath, cuts his head off even. I don't know why we tell these ki the kids in kids' ministry the David Goliath story. It's pretty gruesome. And then David walked over and chopped his head off and held it up. Kids like, yay, go David. I didn't grow up in church, but that is some crazy stuff. I literally was reading this week, just going to be honest. Anybody play the game Mortal Kombat? Raise your hand if you're, uh, before you were saved, of course. Okay, Mortal Kombat. Um, it was the first, like, gruesome game there. And my mom got it for me. She didn't know. And I remember her walking in, and there's a part in the game where it's a finish him. And then you'd go, like, down, down, up, up. And you'd be like, and then cut the person's head off. And my mom was like, she took the game away from me. And if I would have known scripture back then, I would have said, Mom, this isn't the Bible. David with Goliath. The Lord was like, finish him. And David was like, I'm saying, I'm just saying, sometimes we just got to look at the word before we take kids' video games away, all right? I'm just saying, I want my game back, mom. So we love that moment. 
But what about all the moments that led up to that moment? Those aren't as famous. Those aren't as known. But they were just as important or even more important for that moment. And what I believe that we're doing in this series, what God wants to do through his scripture, what God is doing in this series for you, is preparing you for that moment. For you to realize that every moment has a purpose. Every moment, God is trying to do something and develop and deposit things in your heart so when you actually come against your Goliath, you don't run away, but you run like David, you run towards it and you defeat it. Because Goliath was not a David problem, it was a national problem. It was affecting everybody. And we have regional issues, we have city issues, we have national issues, we have world issues, and we have to slay Goliath, not for ourselves, but for everybody around us. I want to read you a verse, and it says this in Psalm 90, verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. This is the verse I've read every single week. Every single week. Teach us to number our days that we may gain the heart of wisdom. Everybody say gain. It's a big deal right here. I want you to catch this real quick, and then I'm going to pray. The psalmist is praying like crazy. I want to make sure that my life counts. He goes on to say, Lord, I get it. My life is but a breath, but a moment. So may I make my life count. Last week, if you weren't here, I shared a story about peeing and water guns. You said, what? Yeah, exactly what you heard. So I thought this week I'd share an illustration from one of the greatest movies of all time, Dumb and Dumber. All right, does that sound good? Who loves Dumb and Dumber? Raise your hand. Wow, okay, yeah. More than The Bachelor. Our church is in good hands, okay? Um, that's like everybody. was like, yes! First time maybe you raised your hand at church. Um, I'm going to say, if you'd like to say yes to Jesus, raise your hand. Um, so anyways, there's this moment in Dumb and Dumber, if you've never seen it, it's about these two guys named Harry and Lloyd, and they uh, basically throughout the movie make the dumbest decision you can in everything. And so there's this moment where Harry and Lloyd are in the Rockies, okay? And they're freezing, and Lloyd has two pairs of gloves, and they're standing by the fire, and Harry has no gloves. Two gloves, no gloves, okay? And Harry goes on to say, man, my hands are freezing. And Lloyd looks at him and goes, oh, I have two pairs. Pulls off the gloves. Here, use mine. He goes, you've had two gloves the whole time? And then they fight, and then he goes on to grab uh, Lloyd, Jim Carrey's character, and Lloyd's, Lloyd's like, Harry, your hands are freezing. It's an amazing moment, it's hilarious. Catch this real quick, and this is literally what I want you to hear real quick of why it's so important for us to understand that moments are so quick and we have to understand it, is there are people outside of these walls, man, they don't like Christians. They don't like the church. We got a bad rep to an extent in our region. And I believe one of the reasons is, is you're standing next to somebody and you've had love the whole time and all you've given them is rules. And you wonder why they're frustrated. And you wonder why they're battling you. You've had the cure for their brokenness the whole time and all you're giving them is correction instead of Jesus. That sounds like some dumb and dumber Christianity to me. And my heart is that we would not be a church like that, but when people are freezing, when they're hungry for the things of God, that we wouldn't give them rules. There's a man named John the Baptist, and it says in his word that he prepared the way for Jesus. And do you know what he said? Behold the Lamb of God who takes the sin of the world away. But I believe the church at times does some dumb and dumber Christianity and says, behold the rules of God. Behold the rules. That's dangerous. <laughs> behold the rules of God. Behold the rules of God. Start doing this and that so your sins can be taken away. And we wonder why we're not reaching the lost. Not our church. Man, we're going to love people. God gave you love so you can give love. God gave you his power so you can pass it on. Christianity is more like hot potato than anything else. He gives it to you and just keep giving it and keep giving it and keep giving it. What gets to us must get through us. Will you bow your heads? So, Father, as we go into this, this word this uh, evening, Lord, I pray right now that, oh, that we would see this new this story, David and Goliath, with fresh eyes, that we wouldn't tune out because we've heard the story. We, we wouldn't just say, okay, I get it. But, Lord, there is revelation to be seen because, God, you are the one that always gives fresh bread. So, Lord, I pray that my words would fall to the floor and that your words would soar. Oh, Lord, we need you. We need you. We need you. And everybody said? I, uh, I have two 
purposes in this message. One is, hey, how great is Lacey, by the way? She did a new little kind of, that was fantastic. She prepared me. She goes, I'm going to do something different tonight, a little more electric. And I was like, oh, okay, let's do this. You know what I'm saying? If you ever go to like gangster rap, though, we'll have to stop. You know what I'm saying? Like if I come up, I love it when you call me Big Pop. No. If it's, I love it when you call me Abba Father. What? What? I'm telling you, Jesus was a rapper before all the other rappers. He's way better. That was a terrible joke. I've never done something like that. It's the first time. Okay, let's get back to the message. I have two purposes. Oh, actually, I got to give one more shout out because I was so impressed. Uh, how great is Caleb? Can we give it up for Caleb? I got to give it up. People ask me all the time, is that really what Caleb's like? Yes, this is Caleb. What does he drink? It's called coffee. Lots of it, okay? I mean, the whole time he's got this vein going right here, and he's like, we got this thing going on. We got marriage retreat. We got youth group. We got this. I'm just getting started. You know, like, holy cow. He's just, I mean, and I'm like, yes, we do. Yes, we do. We're team night now. And I'm like, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Give it up. Come on. We went to lunch today, and he did the same thing, like, this is one of my favorite meals in the world. I'm like, I like my meal too, bro. It's good. It's good. Literally, we call Caleb on our staff the hype guy. Like, if he's just in the room, like, everything gets better. Everything, you know what I'm saying? Like, you could be eating popcorn, but it's the greatest popcorn in the world. If, you're, if your party is lacking, just get Caleb to come, okay? He will... Uh, yeah, he'll bring the power of the Holy Spirit, all right? Two principles in my message, two principles in my message. <laughs> there are two things I want you to catch, the moments before the moments. One is that we are called to steward the moments before the moment, and I'm gonna share an illustration with that real quick. And the second one is, I believe God uses nature to even show us his nature. Matthew 6, he says, hey, don't worry, look at the birds, look at the flowers, look, look at how I take care of them. I design nature even to show you how I take care of them. I'm going to take care of you. God uses nature. Jesus talks about nature throughout in his parables. Well, there is this um, thing I came across a few weeks ago about the monarch butterfly. And the moments before it even becomes a monarch butterfly, there's four stages. And the first stage of a monarch butterfly is where it is an egg. And it just basically just starts. And you can say that's salvation for a lot of Christians. You just, boom, you start. And the second part of the monarch butterfly is that it becomes a caterpillar. I call this the slow season. You're moving around, you're like, man, I feel like I should be farther along. I feel like I should be uh, not sinning as much as I am. I feel like I should conquer this already. I feel like I should just already be striding the way I should be striding, but you're really crawling right now in Christianity. It's okay to crawl because you're gonna start walking and you're gonna start sprinting. Come on now, don't forsake the crawling season. I crawled in my first season with the Lord. And then after the caterpillar, it becomes the cocoon. And really what that is, I feel like it's the season where you're hidden. David was hidden for a season. But God is developing in that hidden season. You feel like, man, like, I feel like I know there's promises in my life. I know I'm called to do something great. But right now, I feel like I'm not doing anything great. And then after that third phase of the monarch butterfly, it breaks out. There's something about even the violence of breaking out. The Bible says that we need to take courage, that we need to take back ground. There's some things the enemy's not going to give you. You have to take it back. But you have the authority to take it back. And then on the fourth phase, the monarch butterfly comes out. And everybody thinks the monarch butterfly is just beautiful. But a lot of us skip past the process it took the monarch to get there. And David, in his life, we see this amazing king and we hear about him. He's the most famous king in all the world. He has some of the greatest stories that everybody knows. But what we don't understand is David was the youngest son and he wasn't even invited to the anointing party by his own father. Samuel even had to say, is there another one? And and so the, the first part of David's season, the moment before the moment was, was he came in and, and Samuel saw something in him that, that nobody else saw and he called out Golden and he said, you are going to be king. God, God was looking for a man with literally his, a heart after his own heart. It's an amazing thing. I didn't grow up in a uh, house of affirmation, if I could put it that way. One of my buddies who's a pastor, he, he wrote this amazing Instagram post for his kid. His kid was nine years old and he said, happy birthday, blank. I'm not going to share the kid's name to keep it their own business, even though it's on Instagram. But, um, and he goes on to say to the kid, you're funny, you're witty, you're going to do amazing things, you're so great at this. And I'm reading this, and it's one of those moments where I realized I had a daddy wound still in my life. I started crying. I was like, I've never heard that from my father. Never heard one time my dad say, you're funny, Tyler. Never heard one time from my dad, 
I'm so proud of you. Never heard that. It's just not the way my dad talks. And I look at David's life, and I want you to catch this real quick. If you're not even voted in the anointing party, I'm, not th- I'm, I'm guessing Jesse didn't say a lot of things to David like, wow, you're going to do great things, son. But then Samuel came along and said, you're built to do great things. And my Samuel, the first one was Roger Archer, my first senior pastor. He's going to come speak in April. I'm really excited about that. But I was at a youth uh, thing. I was 16 years old, and he grabbed me. He, he literally ran back to the back of the room. And when you, Roger comes, you'll understand that he is crazy. Uh, really, like he's just, I mean, he makes Caleb look like he's sleeping. That's how much energy Roger has. I'm not even kidding. Like, like he has more, like, it's, it's scary. But I just, that's why I loved him. Um, so, I mean, like, he runs, he goes, hey, hey, hey. Hey, and, and me and my buddy Drew are there, and he's like, I want to, I want to talk to you guys. And I was like, yeah, hey, how are you? He's like, I'm Roger. I'm, I'm the senior pastor of the church, and uh, I saw you guys. I want you to hear something. I was like, yeah? There's greatness in you, Tyler. He's like, what? He's like, no, I, I was praying, and I, I, I need to tell you before he left. God wanted me to tell you, there's greatness in you. Jesus is in you, and there's greatness in you, and he wants to do something great for your life. And it was the first time ever in my life that I felt chosen by God. And as a church, I don't think we do a good enough job of the first moment for everybody is walking up to people and identifying the gift they are to the church. And we have got to get better. for pe- If we want to raise up Davis to, David's to slay Goliaths, they need to have that Samuel moment first. And so my prayer is, is that you wouldn't depend on me to give every single person in this room there's greatness in you, but you would actually realize that you are actually called to be a Samuel to somebody's David. That you are called to call greatness out in people. That when you see somebody who's great at something, say, man, you're so great with kids. You're so great with this. And maybe the first time, don't discount a compliment. It may be the first thing they've ever had in their whole life from somebody. Second moment that David has in his monarch butterfly phase, if I could put it that way, is that he develops his character. He develops his character. I wrote a simple quote, but it simply says this, the world is into talent, but God is into character. David, for years, stewarded what God put before him. And after character, character, he developed courage. And he developed how to care for things. The private moments prepared him for his public moments. And we love the public moments of life right now. We just, we do, we love it. We love Instagram, we love what's on TV. We just love seeing the public moments of life. And so we fall in love with actually somebody else's race while we look at their public moments instead of being developed in the private moments. You've got to create margins in your life for your moments to actually have private moments of the Lord for him to develop what's supposed to happen in here. One of the, my, my favorite pastors says, you want to change the way you speak, you got to change your heart. You want to change the way you love, you got to change your heart. That doesn't happen in public moments. It happens in private moments. doesn't mean it can't happen corporately, but if this is the only place you're looking for your heart to be transformed, you're missing it. Yes? And last but not least, it takes courage. Take courage, take back the land. Somewhere along the way, I wrote this, he learned how to deal with fear. If you're guarding sheep, you'll, you'll see throughout the story, we're going to read the scripture actually of David and Goliath, and we're going to actually break it down in different moments that just stand out that I think are phenomenal. But I want you to catch this real quick. Somewhere along the way, David had to realize, man, I'm going to need God to defend these sheep. Because if you're depending on what is bigger and better in your life, you will find something bigger and better, and you'll actually feel insecure. This is what happens. This is the way we deal with fear usually. If I have enough money, I'm not stressed. If I'm bigger than the problem, I'm not stressed. We're not looking for bigger and better. We're looking for the power of the Holy Spirit. Bigger and better will have you ride a roller coaster. Living a spirit-filled, fruit-of-the-spirit life is not going to have you on a roller coaster. So we're going to go into 1 Samuel 17, and here's where it's going to get fun. I hope it gets fun for you. We'll see what happens. Uh, Is I'm going to read, and then whenever there's a moment, I want to stop, and I just want to have an observation with you and share it. And I'm hoping as we read Scripture... God is going to use Scripture. Scripture does not return void. I think the most powerful thing I can do as a pastor and as a preacher is bring the Word of God to you. And so as I read this, I'm going to stop and have an observation. I'm hoping in this observation, as you hear it, that there will be something in your heart that God would deposit and make you realize, man, I want to steward the moments before the moment. Amen? All right, let's go. First Samuel 17. Uh, if we have no, uh, you wonder why we don't have Scripture today. We usually always have it. Uh, today was a grind. Sound was struggling, Wi-Fi, everything, so there's no Scripture so I'm going to read a little slower. Um, it's not much, saying much because I read fast, but I'm going to read a little slower uh, so you can get it. Here we go. 1 Samuel 17. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sakah in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephesus uh, between Sokah and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled camp in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill 
and the other, uh, Israelites uh, another, while the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, uh, who was from Gath, came out from the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits in a span. He was bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze, weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. Stop. This, again, matters. I think the, the, the Lord is using the author here to show us that this is the biggest, baddest man the world can offer to bring fear. The, the, the little spear part alone weighed 20 pounds. That's how many shekels that is, 20 pounds just for the spear. So he goes on to say, unpacks, he goes on to say, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we'll, uh, we will uh, become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing this, the Philistine words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Let's keep going. It's a good read. Here we go. Now David was uh, the son of an Ephratite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time, he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to, uh, Saul to war. The firstborn was uh, Eliab, uh, second was Abinab, and the third was Shema. I'm going to say David got the best name, though. You know what I'm saying? Eliab, Shabab, Dinab, David. I don't know how that happened. Seriously, you know, like, I'm going to go really simple here. David, you know, maybe that's why they hated David so much. You're like, you got named David and I'm Eliab. Anyways, um, David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Again, you read through this story and I read fast a lot, but you got to stop real quick. What is David doing before the moment before the moment? It says this, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. I wrote, how you steward what isn't yours screams loudly about your character. What you steward that isn't yours will scream loudly about your character. This is, again, the world loves talent, but God loves character. Before I became a pastor, before I went to college, I worked at this fine establishment in high school named McDonald's, Mickey D's, best double cheeseburger on the planet. Anybody in the house, Mickey D fan? Anybody? Never mind. It's the best. Anyways, I don't, okay, it's not about my sermon, but uh, McDonald's is. Um, so I was working there in my high school years, worked out perfect for my basketball schedule, and I would make the burgers in the back, and it was during the 39 cent and the 49 cent cheeseburger days, and so you'd have somebody come in and be like, I'll take 57 cheeseburgers and 33 hamburgers, and I'm in the back like, <gasps> I'm throwing down the, the buns, you, you toast them because they're actually kind of stale and old, that's why we toast them, what? So you toast them, you put them on the thing, and then... <laughs> You know, mustard, ketchup, you're throwing down all the, the onions, you're throwing down the pickles, and then I'm throwing on the, the, burger, uh, the burgers on the cheese, and sometimes I forget the cheese because I was in such a rush, and, and I'd wrap them, and the cheese would be like half out the, uh, the burger sometimes, and sometimes we'd drop the bun and put it back on the thing anyways. Sometimes the burger would go to the ground, we'd put it in the burger anyways. Yeah, yeah, you need to know this. You do, you do. This is the reality of fast food. All of us are like, I know they take perfect care of this food. It's fantastic. No, 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 no. I'm not even going to share the real stories, but that's the most I'll share right now. So I was back in the grill. And I, again, it was just a job to me. It was just a job. Then the owner of McDonald's, he owned six other franchises. He came in, and he actually started working at a McDonald's when he was young, and his dream was to buy a McDonald's. And so he owned six McDonald's, and I was scheduled to work with him in the grill. And I was like, oh my goodness, what's this going to be like? And he said, all right, Tyler, I'm going to be on the left, and then you're going to finish the burgers for me. And all the finishing is, is basically you put the burger together, wrap it, and then you slide it, and then the presenter will call out, number 57, and then they'll get the order. What McDonald's did you work at, Tyler? I worked at the Walmart McDonald's, okay? The worst of the worst, okay? Yeah. The things I saw, all right? My eyes, my eyes. People threw burgers at me sometimes when they weren't made right, like, I didn't order this, and they would just chuck it at me. I've had burgers hit me in the face before, okay? So when people email me about church service not being that great, I'm like, it's not as bad as a burger in the face. It's all good. It's all good. It's all good. I believe the Lord was training me. You know, David had the desert season. I had McDonald's. But anyways, whatever, okay. Let's go. Let's proceed. So the owner comes in. In this amazing moment, he starts making the burgers, drops the bun, puts the burger down. Perfect amount of ketchup. Perfect amount of mustard. Sprinkles 
the onions that were dry that you put water on and then they're no longer dry on the burger. Yeah, if you knew, if you knew. And then put the two pickles on there and then pass this, no joke, you would have thought he was Leonardo da Vinci painting his masterpiece, okay? You would have thought he was Michelangelo sculpting David. But he's just making a cheeseburger. And I'm like, bro, we gotta, we gotta keep this moving. Let's go, let's go, let's go. And then I would have to finish it and I was wrapping it. He goes, oh, no, no, let me teach you something real quick. Here's how you wrap it. And he wrapped it this perfect way. And it made the burger look, just the presentation look beautiful. And then we slid it in the thing. And I remember saying, man, if this guy had a camera in here and saw the way I took care of his burgers, I'd be fired. I'd be fired. Catch this. This is what happens a lot in church. I'm just going to be honest. Jesus says to Peter, if you love me, Take care of my sheep. You know I love you. If you love me, take care of my sheep. It's an amazing transaction that the Lord has with Peter. But really, that conversation is between him and the church. Peter even represents the beginning of the church. He's, he's the rock uh, that he calls him. That He's going to be a rock. He's going to be part of the cornerstones. Not the cornerstone. Jesus is the, 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 the cornerstone. But he's going to be somebody who helps build the church. And so Jesus says to us, take care of my sheep. And David in the Old Testament is going through a test right now. Take care of the sheep. They're not even his sheep. He's risking his life to protect somebody else's sheep. And now as a church, I believe the Lord passes the baton to us. You're gonna hear this a lot. Passes the baton to us. And if he could see how we treat the sheep and the people of God, because we're so busy trying to get them in and out, trying to blow by them. And we're literally going, oh my goodness, this is the master. Do you know he created you for a masterpiece? It says in Ephesians, a masterpiece. You have to become an owner in this church. Not somebody who you think works here or attends here, but you have to say, this is my calling, my journey, my assignment. I've been called to whatever part of the post and I'm supposed to take care of what God told me to take care of. If you can't take care of that moment, because here's the sad thing, if I'm being honest, I think a lot of people never reach their Goliath. I think a lot of people never ever actually go past salvation. I want you to catch this real quick. It says this in Scripture, and this is where it gets kind of sad, but it goes on to say, for 40 days the Philistines came forward every morning and evening and took, uh, took his stand. So 40 days the Philistine, David would come, uh, Goliath would come and basically mock him and they wouldn't do anything. And I want to read you a verse, 2 Timothy 1.9. It says, you have been saved. Everybody say, I'm saved. Come on, you need to know that. He goes, he saved us and called us. Say, I'm called. I don't think a lot of people know they're called. I don't think a lot of people understand that you have a calling on your life. You have been chosen by God. He goes on to say, I'll read you another verse just about calling uh, and chosen. You did not choose me, but I chose you, says God, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should, be, uh, should abide so that whatever you ask in the Father's name, he may give it to you. He chose you to live a holy life. That means a different type of life. And what's fascinating to me is one of the first things that I find out in this story, the moments before the moment, is looking at the crowd of people that settled to be mocked by Goliath. And when David shows up, we're going to read in a little bit, why is it so clear to him? Why is it so clear to David where he goes, why are you guys standing here? He's mocking God. Let's go kill this guy. Okay, I'll go kill this guy. But a lot of us settle for salvation and never actually take that next step to our calling. And when you actually decide, oh my goodness, I'm not just here to get saved and raise my hand and attend. I'm actually supposed to live out a calling. I have an assignment for this season at this church in this region. This is a unbelievable shift in your walk with the Lord. And we blow by it all the time in church. I remember a game show. It's an older one. It's called, it was called Let's Make a Deal. Let's Make a Deal. Anybody watch Let's Make a Deal? Yes? Okay, a few of you. It's an older one. So if you don't know what it is, I'll describe it real quick. At the very end, there would be three doors. And the three doors, one of them would be like the prize. Let's say today, because inflation, it was probably like 10000 back then, even though I was watching Will of Fortune uh, on Saturday. Um, crazy night in the Johnson household, Will of Fortune. Uh, I'll take a P, uh, an S, a T. Um, they're still like, oh, you won $7,000. <laughs> it's 2018, whatever, 19. Uh, but anyways, um, but let's make a deal. Uh, let's make a deal. Basically, behind one door would be a grand prize. Let's, let's just say behind one door was a trillion dollars, okay? It would change your life, okay? That's door one. 
uh, door two, a decent price, nothing great. Let's say 100,000. It will change half the, it could get you like a closet in the East Bay, okay? $100,000, okay? Uh, if you were in Montana, you could buy a mansion. Here, just enjoy the cash, okay? Go on vacation or whatever. Um, so door number two, cash, all right? 100 grand, a trillion. And then door number three was like a donkey. Like literally, like they'd open the door, like, you be like, ah, oh, okay? And so at the very end, this is what would happen. You would say, I'll take door number two, Bob. I don't know the guy's name, okay? And the host could actually try to talk you out of it. Well, I'll give you this if you pick door number one. And the, and the tension was sometimes the host actually was helping them to get to the right door. Sometimes the host was trying to get them to the donkey. There's a reason why this show's not on TV anymore, okay? <laughs> What's going to happen, you know? And so you would pick, and sometimes you'd be like, okay, Bob, I'll take door number one because I trust you. And like, it's a trillion dollars. And the people are like, oh my gosh, my life's changed forever. Ah! And sometimes you'd be like the donkey. And you'd be like, oh, thanks for coming on. Better luck next time, but you're never coming on the show again. Take care. Uh, okay, boom, okay, stop. I sometimes feel like we think life is just guessing what door we're supposed to walk through. And hopefully we actually hit the one that's gonna change our life forever. But that's not the kind of God we worship. He gave us a book, 66 books long, written by 40 authors. And he's not some mean game show host that says, ooh, I, I want you to guess and see what happens and maybe you'll get the donkey for your life or maybe you'll get the, the okay life or maybe you'll get, no, this is what Jesus does. If you go through this door, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. If you choose me, if you choose to live the way I called you to live, if you choose to actually do the things I called you to do, watch how your life is changed because I saved you and I called you to walk through door number one. He points to it. He screams to it through scripture. He literally wants everybody to know this is the door for your life. But then there is an enemy that tries to trick people saying, actually try another door and see what happens. And that really is the donkey, but it's not a donkey. It's actually this thing called death. And my prayer is that we'd see that David at this moment, because he was hanging out with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, because he had time with the Lord, when he walked up to these situations, there was clarity. He knew the door. Retreat was not an option. Right now in our culture, retreat is not an option. Being angry at sinners that have a different ideology than you, it's not an option. Love is the door when people are angry. Why is it so clear to some Christians that when somebody hurts you, you should forgive? That's pretty easy, right? Door number one, somebody hurts you. Door number one, should you forgive them? Should you ignore them? Or should you talk bad about them? And sometimes Christians pick door number three. I should talk bad about them. That's not the door you should pick. How is that not clear to you? How is that not clear to me? We miss the moments before the moment. How obvious is it to us that when there's a bunch of hate, man, we should be just throwing a ton of love out. People don't need to know a ton of rules right now. They need to know that you care about them. And when you fall in love with the Lord, you actually follow, you say no to more things than you ever thought you would for God. And you may look like a rule follower, but you're not a rule follower. You just love Jesus, and you're actually fostering a great relationship. Let's keep going. So after the 40 days, he sees that there, people are settling. I love that when people come along, and, and I hope you have a David in your life that even would maybe challenge you not to settle. Because what's so cool is, I think sometimes in my life, I had people in my life that showed me that I was settling instead of actually running. That's what David is. Here, okay, here we go. Where are we at here? Verse 17. Now Jesse said to his son David, take this ephah of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread, to your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers and your, uh, uh, see how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. There was Saul and all the men in Israel in the Valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Basically he says, hey, go bring some meats and cheeses. You heard me say this before. Basically he was a glorified pizza man. Hey, bring the pizza to your brothers. And what I wrote here is some of the moments before the moment will be packaged in the most humble actions. I believe that for our church to be special, for your life to be everything it's called to be, nothing can be too big for you and nothing can be too small for you. So a lot of people think that the church reason why they're not doing anything great is because, well, it just seems too big to me. No, I think a lot of the times why it, the church isn't doing something great is the small actions we don't actually enjoy. But the Bible shows that Jesus delights in small beginnings because he can get busy with a small beginning. 
He can do something special with a small conversation at a Starbucks. He can do something special with a simple thank you card to somebody. He can do something special with a small group. He can do something special with a simple act of kindness. Our mission is to change the world one person at a time. Very simple, sounds really small, but if Jesus did it that way, we're gonna do it that way and see what happens. Goes on to say, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave these few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch this battle. Some moments before the moments, and I just want you to hear this real quick, is you will have attacks on your moment. It's interesting that Eliab says, I know how wicked your heart is, but God said that David was a man after God's own heart. You gotta stop listening to people and you gotta start listening to the Lord. You will have attacks on, he even said to him, it's, it's fascinating, he goes, aren't you supposed to be taking care of those sheep? He, he belittles him and tries to keep him in his old past. What are you doing here? Just go take care of the sheep. And some of you start to actually walk towards what you're supposed to, and the enemy says, just go keep doing your sinning thing. This 21-day fast was, I was pressing in, and I was saying, Lord, we're going to take back ground. I believe that we're going to come out of it stronger. I believe that revival is going to come to the East Bay region. You're going to use Mission Church. And by day three, I wanted to just quit. I just, I mean, it felt like all of the enemy rallied around to just destroy everything I was dreaming. And then I realized this, this is a part of it. I'm going to have attacks on my moments. And I have to decide, am I going to let the attacks define what I'm going to do, or am I going to have the promises of God define what I'm going to do? Here we go. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against the Philistines. So um, David uh, goes on to say, basically, what did I do now? He moves on, and he goes on. And uh, Saul replied, you are not able to go against the Philistines and fight them. You're only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. Uh, when a lion and a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. Uh, this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. I love what David's proclaiming. My previous God moments have prepared me for this moment. Saul's like, I don't think you can do it. Oh, you don't understand, Saul. I don't think you can have revival. Oh, I don't think you understand. I've been praying for months and years for this. Oh, I don't think you understand. I don't think you can actually transform a region. Oh, I don't think you understand. My God, who I've seen have revivals in cities that never should have had revivals, revived LA. He can definitely revive the Bay Area. Oh, I don't know. Hold on a second. I don't think you can defeat this thing. You don't think hate's been defeated before? My God's done it. The previous moments I've had have prepared me for this moment. For you to actually live out the defeating Goliath moment, if you will, you've got to have some previous God moments in your life. I believe if you want this thing and this thing to get ready, I'm going to ask you just to pray a little bit more this season. The times when I feel really just confident in what God's called me is not when I actually start realizing how great I am because I am so flawed. It's when I hang out with the Lord and I have those moments that I know I'm disqualified, but I'm confident in Christ because he has qualified me. Definitely not good enough, but he is more than enough. And David, it's so interesting. He goes, oh, you don't, you don't get it. This ain't nothing. I've been here, done that, got that t-shirt. Just let me go for it. None of you, I guess, you always just do your own thing. I've been doing the God thing. Goes on. This is where it gets fun. We're about to get into get to it. Saul said, David, go and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put on a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened uh, on his sword over the tunic and try, uh, tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, yes, Saul, because I'm not used to them. So Saul tries to say, hey, all right, here's my armor. Here's my stuff. Fight like me. I'm going to give everything I have. And here's what happens. I, I simply wrote this observation. You will not change the world trying to be someone else. David being everything God created him to be was more than enough. And I hope you hear this. It's hard to become a David if you're admiring the Sauls of this world and trying to be like them. I'm a big, dumb animal. I love 
the Lord, and I love preaching the gospel. That's who I am. I'm not the strongest guy. I'm not the smartest guy. I'm not the smoothest guy. This is what I got. So if I try to be anybody else, if I try to be Timothy Keller and break stuff down, y'all in trouble, okay? I'm just going to be honest. And what I love about David, and I wrote this, is David, it shows throughout Scripture that Saul was the strongest king, head and shoulders above the rest. Solomon was the smartest king. At this moment, Israel did not need the strongest nor the smartest. Israel needed a shepherd boy. A shepherd boy knew how to throw stones. And I believe that if you would actually just embrace who you are instead of admiring everything else that this world has to offer and actually look at what God created, oh, watch what he can use. David was comfortable doing it the way God created him to do it. The, the sooner that you can say, all right, this is what I got. This is, this is what God gave me. And watch him develop that. Watch what you can conquer. Here we go. Uh, we're almost getting there to the, uh, the amazing moment where David cuts off the guy's head. Here we go, kids. Uh, tune in. Ready? Uh, so he took them off. Uh, then he took uh, his uh, staff in his hand, chose five uh, stones from the stream, put them in a pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistines, with his shield bare in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was a little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. And he said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? Am I the Philistine cursed David uh, by his gods? Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistines, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Even the circumstance that we see today right now, I'll say this is what I heard from people. Tyler, least church region, good luck. Eight out of ten churches fail in church plants. I heard a pastor say this one time. A lot of people are saying in David's camp, he's too big to defeat. But David's saying he's too big to miss. Do you catch this real quick? He's too big to defeat. Now he's too big to miss. And when I, when people told me at first, this is where I went. Oh my goodness. Nobody likes coming to church in this region. Supposedly it's 4%. I got to study the stats. Oh, I found out that our area is a little under 4%. Oh, that's great. It's even worse than I thought. And I was like, man, when I was in L.A., man, the valley was a Bible belt. Man, people love Jesus. It's crazy. L.A.'s got these pockets. I mean, they, they birth these Costco churches. You start a church, and then 10,000 people are there, and they're like, we love Jesus. A bunch of people from the Midwest move to L.A. because they want to be famous, and they go to church, of course. And so I'm thinking, man, maybe we plant in Texas, or maybe we plant in L.A. And I had this moment. you got to see this. Again, this is even how you... You'll walk towards the right Goliath when you actually see the, the obstacle differently and actually see it as an opportunity. I started thinking, I was like, man, you tell me that 96% of people don't go to church anywhere? And that is an open market for people to come to church. That's amazing. You're telling me that if I invite somebody to church and I'm like, oh, sorry, I, don't, I already go to church. And they're going to be like, what's church? Got you. If you told Steve Jobs that 96% of people didn't have iPhones, he would go and put an Apple store in that city right away. It's an amazing thing when you actually open your eyes to the opportunity and look at it as an opportunity and not an obstacle. And so when you look at your life and there's things in front of you, all you gotta say is the setback actually is a setup. That the things that look like this unbelievable mountain, this is actually when God loves to perform. He loves to be God. God loves doing God-like things because he is God. And I love how David's saying, I get it. You're gonna come out with this, I'm gonna come out with my God because he loves to do God-like things. Because he's God. He does God things. And this is my favorite moment before the moment. And people read past it all the time. So it goes on and we go to verse 48. This is where I'll read. And this is my favorite moment before the moment. I invite the worship team to come up. As the Philistines moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Everybody say ran quickly. So everybody else is running away from Goliath, and he runs towards Goliath. I want you to catch it real quick. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. I want to use a sport illustration with you to kind of see, let you see what's kind of going on a little bit. Now, I'll start in the 2000 Olympics. Uh, I, uh, I enjoy the Olympics. I used to love them when I was a kid. My dad and I was one of the ways we bonded. But the 2000 Australian Olympics... The 4 by 100 meter relay was uh, the women's relay. The women were favored highly. Nine out of 16 Olympics, they had won the gold medal. 
On paper, they were the fastest team. On paper, they were the fastest team in history. But when you're that good, you get a little sloppy. And so that 4x100 relay in the 2000 Olympics, they do the transition. And if you've never been in a relay race, I haven't. I'm slow. I'm super slow. If you ever want to see me run, come to softball. People think there's a piano on my back, but whatever. Um, I keep it in second gear. I'm not popping anything anymore. You know what I'm saying? Um, Achilles are going to stay intact. Anyways, in a relay race, there is this 20-meter period, which is the exchange zone. It's 1.9 seconds. And it doesn't matter how fast the sprinters are if they don't know how to give the baton and receive the baton. And so in this race, they have the fastest runners, but they don't know how to actually, maybe because they didn't practice well enough, they were having uh, confidence in maybe their own speed that they didn't have to worry about it. Fastest team in history, everybody was building them up. And so therefore, the Bahamas and Jamaica blew them by at the end because they were sloppy in the baton passes. They had to slow down and grab it. Fast forward four years. In 2004, the Olympic Games. Marion Jones is running to hand it off to Lauren Williams. And within that 20-second period, I mean that 1.9-second period, that 20 meters, she's running and she didn't prepare that well and she was actually too tired at the very end of it and she couldn't catch up to Lauren Williams. And so Lauren Williams gets outside of that exchange zone and they get disqualified. I'm going to keep going. It gets worse and then it's before it gets better. But in 2000, I want to hear this quick, on paper they were the fastest team. But it didn't make it from paper to the racetrack. And on paper, it says that we should be the baddest, most powerful force this world's ever seen. That we should be the answer that the world is looking for. That we should walk with a different kind of confidence. That when Goliaths raise up, that we run at them. But the problem is, is I think the church has gotten sloppy at times. The church has gotten arrogant at times. Arrogance will keep you from your promise, but humility will lead the path to your promise. Two thousand eight, Beijing. They dropped the baton. They dropped it. This is getting terrible. First the bronze, and then the outside of the thing DQ'd, and now they dropped the baton. And I think of the church, and if I'm just being honest, you look throughout Scripture, it says in Hebrews 11, oh, look at the hall of fame of the faith, all the people that took the baton of faith from God and said, God, if you said it, you're going to do it. If you said it, I'm going to follow it. And what David was doing, it's an amazing moment, is God was handing them the baton and says, David, this is the moment I built you for. I'm going to give you the baton, and it looks like a stone, and this stone isn't just any stone. I've prepared you for this, and you're going to take it. And when I pass you this baton, you're going to run towards him and you're going to toss it at this Goliath and you're going to destroy this Goliath because you're going to be one who receives the baton because you understand the exchange zone. How many batons have been dropped in the church? How many times when we should have forgiven, but we gossiped? How many times we should have loved, but we hated? How many times we should have spoke up, but we were quiet? This exchange zone, we must change the way we see our life. God is ready always to deposit something into your hand so you can give it to this world. He's trying to give you weapons to fight. He's trying to give you the goodness of God to give to the world. But what happens in the race is all of us are running and not prepared and sloppy. But not David. 2012 comes along. The team wasn't faster. They weren't stronger. But they decided we are going to dominate the baton passing. They focused on it. They didn't practice just sprinting, because sprinting is the cool part of everything. When people see the gold medal after 4 by 100 the last thing they talk about is the four moments about a baton being passed, the moments before the ribbon being broken moment. The problem is, is if you don't pass the baton correctly, you're never going to win the prize. And David, oh, David. I love it. It says he ran quickly. I always wonder what it looked like in the spiritual as, as the Lord and the Spirit was with him, the Holy Spirit was with him, and literally equipped him to do something that he never could have done on his own. And I wonder how many Christians, if they were ready and not sloppy, but saying, I'm going to make the most of every opportunity, like it says in the New Testament. And when God says go, I don't just go, but I sprint to it. I want to read you a verse, and we're going to go back into worship. It says this in 1 Corinthians 9, 23 through 25. I do everything. Everybody say everything. 
I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs? Everybody's running right now. You're running somewhere. And maybe you're running for a paycheck. Maybe you're running for something. Everybody's running. And so everybody's kind of tired. Might as well run for the right thing. Everyone runs. But only one person gets a prize. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. I do everything to spread the good news. I want to run with you this next season, Mission Church. I want to sprint with you. I want to pass the baton to you. I want you to pass it back. I want to see something special happen because imagine in the 4x100 if Marion Jones would have passed it to Lauren Williams. <sighs> pass it to Lauren, she grabs it. <sighs> and she's like, oh, thanks. I'm going to sit down, check my Instagram. How silly would that look in a race? That would look silly. Imagine if... Mary Jones would have handed it to Lauren Williams and she would have said, I'm gonna go run to Krispy Kreme because I just want a Krispy Kreme right now. And what happens in the church is we pass a baton and people just sit there. And you say, go change the world. And we just sit there and we say, go change the world. And we take a right instead of actually going towards a prize. I do everything to spread the good news, everything. We're gonna do everything possible to spread the good news in this region. At our one year anniversary, and we're going to announce a lot of things. I'll announce a couple to, to you. Just and again, we're going to make a, a big presentation of it. But we're going to start birthing things called I Love My City, I Love My Nation, I Love My World. We're going to do anything and everything to let this city know, this nation know, this world know that there is a God who loves them and died for them. That there is a generous church that's going to give above and beyond. So we're going to birth that this next year. We're 11 months old. We've been waiting to mobilize our people. We're birthing that. We're going to birth a women's ministry. We believe that when we equip and empower the, the people in our church, watch out. We're going to be birthing so many. I mean, if I could, I, I want to hold some of back. We're birthing Mission College in September. We're going to take people from 18 to 25 or 18 to 30. What do you want? 25? Uh, pray about it. Pray about it. We're going to take young people, 18 to 30. If you're 31, you want to be in it, we'll talk about it. I don't know. I don't know what the age it is yet. And we're going to have them actually intern at our church. Literally, college, you can get your bachelor's through Southeastern. And a ton of different things. We're going to prepare for the ministry and the marketplace. We're going to do anything and everything we can to get the gospel out. The exchange zone is going to happen this week with you. And everybody's going to maybe see the stone thrown and see that's the moment. But you're going to know it's actually the moment before the moment. And I believe what's happening in our church is the moment before the moment. And when we look back, and I just always think if you're part of this season of our church the first year, I think of the 10th year when people go, what happened to that place? It was people like you that sacrificed and moved five places in 10 months. It was people like you that were willing to set up and tear down and figure out the sound 10 minutes before service. It was people like you that literally were saying, man, I'm in. I'm going to love a city. I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to give above and beyond. And so when people see the prize in 10 years, and then we'll have another prize every single year, I'll remember this, the moment before the moments. We bow your heads.